Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We're continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as they're summarized in the Belgic Confession of Faith. And today, with the Lord's help, we will consider the subject of the law of God, in particular, the relationship between the law and the Christian. Specifically, we want to answer the question, what relevance, if any, does the law of God have for the New Testament believer? And in that connection, I want to invite you to turn with me to the general epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 9, as we read the first 14 verses. Hear the word of God. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts. Dear friends, the Bible consists of two collections of writings. The writings that were written before the coming of Christ we call the Old Testament. And the writings that were written after the coming of Christ we call the New Testament. And the existence of these two collections of writings begs the question, how do they relate to each other? Specifically, does the Old Testament, including the Law of Moses, still have relevance for the church today? And if so, what is it? How should we understand the relationship between the Old and the New Testaments? 
Now, this was a very important subject during the early New Testament period. During this time, there were people in the church, primarily Jewish Christians, who said that the Gentiles had to be circumcised and obey the dietary laws and the law of Moses. And this created such a controversy in the church that the apostles called a special church council to deal with this particular matter. And that council was convened in Jerusalem, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 15. And at issue at this council was what is the relevance of the law of Moses for New Testament believers, especially Gentile believers. Later on, during the 2nd century AD, a man by the name of Marcion argued that the Christian church of his day had compromised far too much with Judaism, thereby robbing Christianity of its purity and power. To counteract that, he urged a radical break with the Old Testament. The Old Testament, he said, was no longer relevant. It had served its purpose. He even rejected the authenticity of many books of the New Testament, especially the writings of Peter and James and John, on the grounds that they were too Jewish. The only books he accepted as being authentic were the Gospel of Luke and ten of Paul's epistles. Now, there are still Christians who struggle with this question today. Some put too much emphasis on the Old Testament, especially when it comes to worship. Others do not put enough emphasis on the Old Testament. So how should we view this? What relevance, if any, does the Old Testament have for New Testament Christians? Well, we have an answer to that question in Article 25 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. There we confess that with the coming of Christ, the believer's relationship to the law has changed completely. While certain aspects of the law have been fulfilled, we are still bound to it for as long as we live. Now, with that in mind and God's help, let's consider the teaching of the Word of God as it's summarized in this article. We do so under the theme, The Law and the Christian. And we'll see that, first of all, its ceremonies and symbols have ceased, and secondly, its testimonies are still in force. Our confession begins by declaring, and I quote, that the ceremonies and figures of the law ceased at the coming of Christ, and that all the shadows are accomplished. Now, by the phrase, the law, the confession is referring to the entire Old Testament, but more particularly to the five books of Moses. One of the most prominent features of the Old Testament, especially the law of Moses, is what our confession calls its many ceremonies and figures. By ceremonies, it means all of the rituals that formed part of the religious life of the ancient Israelites. That includes such things as sacrifices and circumcision, various purification rites, feast days, and so on. By figures, our confession means symbols. Now, there are plenty of such symbols in the Old Testament. You can think of the candlesticks and the priestly garments, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Old Testament feast days, and many more. All of these ceased, our confession says, at the coming of Christ. And all the shadows or types have been accomplished. Now, that's exactly what the scriptures teach. In Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Let no man therefore therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come. But the body, that means the reality, the fulfillment, is of Christ. 
So here Paul says that the Old Testament feast days all point to Christ and have their fulfillment in him. Or we can think of Romans 10, verses 3 and 4. In that passage, Paul expresses his profound regret that so many of his fellow Jews do not acknowledge Jesus to be the true Messiah. And that's regrettable, he says, because they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And then in verse 4, he makes this statement, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now that word end here can also be translated as aim or purpose. And Paul's point is this, Christ is the aim or the purpose of the law of Moses. The entire law is fulfilled in Christ. Now how does it do that? It does that by showing us our sin and our need of a savior. The law expresses what God expects of every one of us. He expects perfect obedience. Now, since none of us is capable of rendering that obedience, we must look to Christ. He is the only one who has met the demands of the law perfectly. And when we believe on him, then his righteousness becomes ours, and we can stand before God as though we had met the demands of the law of God in our own person. In this way, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. He's the one to whom the law points and in whom it finds its fulfillment. The law is the schoolmaster, as Paul says, that brings us to Christ. Now there's another verse here, Hebrews 9, verses 1 to 14. We read about that, we read those verses earlier. And in verses 1 to 5, the writer to the Hebrews describes the tabernacle with all of its furnishings. And then in verses 6 through 10, he describes how once a year the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant in order to make atonement for the sins of the people. And this sprinkling with blood was not able, he says, to cleanse the worshippers from sin. It merely pointed to the one who could, namely to Jesus Christ. And so what the writer is saying is that all the ceremonies and all the figures of the law point to Christ and find their fulfillment in him. Now, since that is so, our confession declares that their use must be abolished among Christians. In other words, they are no longer to be observed or practiced by New Testament believers. And this is why we no longer sacrifice animals on altars or have a priesthood or observe the various feast days, or worship in a temple. It's because all of these things were fulfilled by Christ. Now, in making this statement, the Belgian Confession is actually distancing itself from the Roman Catholic Church. Although the Roman Catholic Church agrees that the ceremonies and symbols of the Old Testament have been fulfilled, they do not agree that they should be abolished. They were fulfilled in Christ, they say, but they are still being fulfilled by the Church. And that's clearly illustrated in the Roman Catholic Mass. According to Roman Catholic doctrine, when the priest breaks the wafer and pours out the wine, he's actually sacrificing Christ all over again. And to defend that practice, the Roman Catholic Church appeals to the Old Testament. And they say, just as the priests in the Old Testament sacrificed daily in the tabernacle, later on the temple, so the priests in the New Testament must do the same. The only difference is they do not sacrifice animals, 
but the bread and wine, which they say turn into the actual body and blood of Christ. Now they use the same argument to defend things like the ordination of priests, the wearing of vestments, the use of choirs and images, and the burning of incense and candles and stained glass windows and the making of icons and other images. All of these things, they say, are patterned after Israel's worship and therefore are permitted. Now, over and against that, the Belgian Confession says, no, all the ceremonies and figures of the law, including all of its many rituals, point to and are fulfilled by Christ as the scriptures teach. And to deny that, as Roman Catholics do, is to return, as Paul says, to the weak and beggarly elements which ultimately lead to bondage. Now, none of that means, however, that the Old Testament has no relevance for us. On the contrary, it is also part of God's revelation. And so the Belgian Confession goes on to say that although the ceremonies and rituals of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ, yet the truth and substance of them remain with us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have their completion. And by that is meant that although there are many things in the Old Testament that do not carry over into the New Testament, yet it still speaks to us and we must listen to its message. For example, the Old Testament teaches that no priest was permitted to come into the presence of God without a sacrifice. Now, that doesn't mean that we still need a sacrifice because Christ is our sacrifice. But it does mean that the only way we can stand before God is by faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let me give you another example. The Old Testament teaches that Males must be circumcised at eight days old. Now, that doesn't mean we still must circumcise our boys, but it does mean that we must circumcise our hearts. That means we must put sin to death and walk in a new and holy life, which is only possible through faith in Christ. One more example. We no longer celebrate the Passover feast. It has been replaced by the Lord's Supper. But the lamb of the Passover points to Christ. Similarly, the unleavened bread reminds us of the need to purge sin out of our lives. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul writes this, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So Paul here connects the Old Testament feast of Passover to Christ and our need to walk in holiness before him. Well, the point is the ceremonies and rituals of the Old Testament are fulfilled. And as such, they're not to be practiced by New Testament believers. But the principles that they teach remain. Now, that means when we read the Old Testament, especially Old Testament laws, we need to ask ourselves, what's the abiding underlying principle here? And when we know what that is, then we can read the Old Testament, including the laws of Moses, with great profit. And so we see that the ceremonies and symbols of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ. And yet, its testimonies are still in force. And that brings us to our second point. Although the ceremonies and rituals of the Old Testament are all fulfilled in Christ and therefore must be abolished, its testimonies remain. And that's expressed in the second part of this article of the Belgian Confession. There it says, and I quote, in the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken out of the law and the prophets to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel 
and to regulate our life in all honesty to the glory of God according to his will. End quote. Now, in making that statement, the Belgian Confession is militating against the teaching of another religious group known as the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists were the ancestors of modern-day Baptists and Mennonites. And they believe that the Reformers, men like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and John Knox, that they did not go far enough in distancing themselves from the Church of Rome. And so their aim was to purge Christianity of all Romish tendencies and practices. Now, one area where the Anabaptists disagreed with the Reformers was on the relevance of the Old Testament. Generally speaking, the Anabaptists saw little, if any, value in the Old Testament. In their view, the Old Testament was a dead letter. That's how they called it. It promoted bondage and legalism. Of more importance and value was the New Testament, especially the words of Christ, because the New Testament emphasizes not law, but grace. Now, this is why, for example, Anabaptists dispense with infant baptism. They did so because they rightly understood that much of the argument for infant baptism rests on the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament teaching on the covenant of grace, which you can find in Genesis 17 and elsewhere. To the Anabaptists, however, that is not adequate. They say nowhere does the New Testament say that we should baptize infants, and therefore we shouldn't do it. The fact that infants were included in the covenant of grace in the Old Testament doesn't mean that they are included today. In fact, they say the covenant of grace applied to the Jews only. It doesn't apply to believers today anymore. Now, over and against that, the Belgian Confession, in line with the teaching of the Reformers and the teaching of Scripture, says no. The Old Testament is a vital part of God's revelation and therefore must not be disregarded or relegated to secondary importance. Someone once said that the Old Testament and the New Testament are like two volumes written by the same author. The first volume, the Old Testament, is written for younger, less mature readers. It contains a lot of pictures and not very much text. Now the second volume, the New Testament, is written for more mature and older readers, and it contains, as a result, few pictures and much text. And yet, they both tell the same story, that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now, that means when we have finished volume one, we don't throw it away. We keep it, and we even refer to it. But we interpret it in light of volume two. Augustine put it like this. He said, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. Now, that's how we ought to see the relationship between the Old and New Testaments. They are complementary, but different. But they both have the same authority, because they both come from God. Well, what relevance, then, does the Old Testament have for us today? Our confession mentions two things. First of all, it says it may be used to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel. Now, this is an amazing statement. Because there are people who say that the Old Testament is all about law and the New Testament is all about gospel. But that's simply not true. The Old Testament contains much gospel. The very first gospel message was preached by God himself. Where? In Genesis 3 verse 15. When as a solution to the fall of man into sin, God promised that the seed of the woman, Christ, would come to bruise the head of the serpent who is Satan. 
When you go up to the book of Psalms, you read Psalms 16 and 22 and 69, they all contain explicit references to suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. So does Isaiah 53. And Isaiah's prophecy also contains some of the most moving and powerful gospel invitations in Scripture. Think, for example, of Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Or Isaiah 45, verse 22, where the Lord says, Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now, by the same token, the New Testament contains a lot of law. Much of the second section of the Sermon on the Mount is law where Jesus distances his interpretation of the law from that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Or you can think of the many commands and injunctions in the so-called practical sections of the epistles of Paul. And so, as we confess, we may use the Old Testament to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel. Now, that's also what the writers of the New Testament did all the time. Whenever Jesus or the apostles, especially the apostle Paul, wanted to confirm their teaching, what did they do? They cited the Old Testament. In fact, the New Testament contains dozens and dozens of scripture references to the Old Testament. Secondly, the Old Testament may also be used to regulate our life in all honesty to the glory of God according to his will. Our confession here is referring to what theologians refer to as the third use of the law. Basically, the law, by which we understand the moral law, or the Ten Commandments, has three uses. First of all, it shows us our sin and drives us to Christ. Secondly, it restrains sin in society. And thirdly, it guides us in the way of thankful living. Now, our confession here reminds us that the moral law, or the Ten Commandments, is still binding on all believers. Every Christian is obligated to keep the moral law. In fact, so are all men. Not in order to earn anything by their obedience, because that's impossible. Because we're sinners. And all that we need to be saved is to be found in Christ. But rather we obey the law out of thankfulness to God for all that he has done for us in Christ. Now, some object to that by saying that as New Testament Christians, we're free from the law. And they'll often cite the words of Paul who said that Christians are not under the law, but under grace. But my friends, that is simply a misinterpretation of what Paul is saying. It's true. We're no longer under the civil and ceremonial laws. These have been done away with by Christ, but we are still under the moral law. Jesus himself said as much in Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So when Paul says that we're not under the law but under grace, he means that since the coming of Christ, the law, meaning the moral law, the Ten Commandments, no longer condemns us. Why not? Because Christ met the requirements of the law by living a perfect life. And when we believe on him, as I said already, his righteousness is imputed to us so perfectly as if we had never sinned. And now we observe the law not out of of fear of being punished, but out of thankfulness for all that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why in Reformed churches we read the law every Lord's Day. That's not a mere tradition. This is a vital part of worship. 
For in the law, God reminds us how he wants us to live for him in every aspect of our lives. It's a confession that we belong to him, we have a covenant or relationship with him, and therefore we must live for him and to his glory. And so the law is still relevant for the believer. While its ceremonies and figures have been fulfilled, its testimonies are still very much in force. Well, let me ask you, do you believe this today? Does it also show itself in your life? Are you striving to keep the law of God, not to earn anything, but out of thankfulness to the Lord for all that he has done in Christ? It's not enough to confess merely with the mouth that the law is still binding on believers today. It needs to be confessed in our life as well. There must be evidence in your everyday life that you are striving to keep the law of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. And similarly, in 1 John 2, 3 and 5, John writes this, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we what? If we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And so the word of God is clear. If we claim to be Christians, we will keep God's commandments. Is that true for you today? As New Testament believers, we have a challenging task when it comes to the Old Testament. On the one hand, we are not to reject it or undermine it or relegate it to secondary importance as though it was not on par with the the New Testament. And on the other hand, we are not to elevate it to the point that we lose sight of the work of Christ. The truth is the coming of Christ has changed everything. It changes our relationship to God. It changes our relationship to others. It changes our relationship to his own word. May the Lord enable us to understand this in the right way and to give us grace to live as he has commanded to his glory. Amen. Dear friends, we always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth. 3386 Mount Lehman Road, and Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us directly at Banner of Truth, that's all one word, Banner of Truth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I'll gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you'd like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, Our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 
2M9. A tax receipt will be gladly provided. You can also make a donation on our webpage. Our webpage again is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.